attention much to the news? Do you, do you notice some of the things just happening in our world today and kind of ever wonder as you look at it, what in the world is going on? I mean, it, I don't know about you, but it seems to me like um, things aren't necessarily getting better, but they seem to be getting worse, don't they? I, I, just in so many areas of life, politically, I mean, the, the rhetoric and uh, the animosity of uh, different sides politically uh, over the last, especially the last few years, but even the last 20 years, it just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse, doesn't it? How about um, the family? Family structure in our society, in our world, uh, it just seems to continually break apart. So many uh, kids growing up with, with only one of their parents around. Um, how about just, uh, just crime? You know, I, I, went to, I grew up in Iowa, went to Iowa State, and then spent uh, five years in Chicago attending Moody Bible Institute downtown. And I love the city of Chicago, but as I watch the news, yeah, even places that were unbelievably safe there 20 years ago, now you go, I, I don't know if I'd go there right now. It just seems to be getting worse and worse. How about uh, the view of sexuality in our culture? The total abandonment of, of God's design. Outrage among people. Levels of disgust towards people who are not like us or who see life differently or uh, have a different ethnicity, potentially. Financially, uh, the economy is chugging along, but it's doesn't look too great for the future right now, does it? I mean, I don't know about you, inflation just keeps going up. It cost me a lot more to fill up my truck now than it did six months ago. Uh, natural disasters, you know, from earthquakes to, we just saw all kinds of terrible flooding in the last week and um, wildfires out west and it's just the beginning of hurricane season so it's just the start. Uh, how about war? Wars? Ukraine and Russia, rumors of wars in China with Taiwan. I saw a headline even this week that said uh, allegedly uh, Putin had given the go-ahead to use tactical nuclear weapons in Ukraine. I don't know if that's true, but it's a rumor of a war that could get worse. Pandemics, COVID, and now monkeypox, you keep hearing about that, and reading about polio, making a comeback in New York State, and what in the world is going on? By the way, welcome to church. Glad you came. <laughs> Excited to just cheer you up today. <laughs> but it's heavy, isn't it? I mean, you hear those things and you just go, what in the world is going on? Uh, things don't seem to be getting better. They seem to be getting worse, and it seems to me from my very limited perspective, it just seems like there's more and more and more. And it's happening more frequently and with more intensity and it just keeps piling up. And it makes me a little anxious for the future. How about you? Well, if, if you fall into that camp, you're in, you're in good company because you know the disciples, when Jesus shared with them some of the things that were gonna happen, uh, they said to him, uh, Hey, can you, can you give us a sign? Can you tell us when these things are gonna happen? They wanted to know. 
looking forward into the future. And so we're gonna look at what Jesus said to them this morning in Matthew chapter 24. And I know we're in a series called Parables. We're looking at some of Jesus' parables and uh, we're gonna spend a very small amount of time today on one of these parables, but all of the context leading up to that parable is what we're gonna really look at here in Matthew 24 because as Jesus uh, reveals some things about the future, he, he even uses a parable and uses some more after that uh, to describe what those things will be like. So with that, let me pray. And uh, we're gonna dive into Matthew chapter 24 here in just a minute, let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus, thank you for your word, thanks for uh, Lord, your sovereignty, your control over all things. Father, from, from our vantage point, things do seem rough and uh, it can be intimidating, it can be anxiety inducing, it, it can uh, be paralyzing at times. But Holy Spirit, whatever uh, state we find ourselves in and, and whatever's around the corner for us and as a group and for us individually, uh, Holy Spirit, remind us today of uh, your goodness, of uh, Jesus, your soon return, and uh, how all of these things ultimately uh, can give us hope that you're, you're coming back. So keep our eyes on you. Encourage our hearts, I pray today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you got your Bible, uh, you can turn to Matthew chapter 24 with me. Matthew chapter 24. And uh, we're just gonna start right there in verse one. In Matthew 24, Jesus is returning with his disciples. They'd been up at the Temple Mount. He'd been teaching and some things happening there leading up to his crucifixion. And uh, Jesus left the temple and he was going away. And his disciples were with him and, and they came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. It's kind of a strange verse, I think. At least at first reading, like they were at the temple and then his disciples come up to him. They say, hey Jesus, check out the temple. That'd be like if you're leaving the church today and you turn around, hey, look at the building. Like, yeah, it was just there. Well, I think what's happening here is Jesus is on his way back to Bethany. And to get to Bethany, they, they cross the Mount of Olives which isn't like a mountain like we would think, but it would feel like a mountain to us because Big Hill, which we don't have around here, and they're climbing the Mount of Olives. And as you climb the mountain, Mount of Olives, you look back towards the Temple Mount and it's a breathtaking view, especially at the end of the day in the evening as the sun begins to set behind the temple. And their view would have been similar to this. Right here is a, a, a mosque now where the temple used to sit. And they would have looked back and I, I wonder if, if part of what they're doing is they're just saying, check out this view, that's incredible. And they're just looking back considering it. I don't know if that's the case, but I can imagine that being why they asked him to look back at the buildings. But then Jesus answered him and says, yeah, you see all these, don't you? You, you see them? Uh, Truly I say to you, maybe they discuss their beauty and majesty of, of the construction there. But Jesus says, I, I'm telling you, there's not gonna be left here one stone upon another that won't be thrown down. Which that had to be kind of shocking to the disciples. Especially if they're looking at it, at the beauty of it and pointing it out. And Jesus just throws cold water on that in a hurry, doesn't he? Like it's all coming down, guys, sorry. Um, in fact, in, uh, it would happen in AD 70, about 40 years later, when uh, invaders would come into Judea and the Romans would 
uh, would conquer that area and the temple would be torn down. In fact, in 1968, excavations were made that discovered a lot of the stones that had been thrown down and were now in piles of rubble as they began to do archeological digs. So they're going across the Mount of Olives and Jesus sits down with them. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Now, uh, Mark tells us that it was four of them who came privately in his account. It was uh, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And they, they just come to him privately with some questions. And I wonder if they're, again, remember, these are real events. These are things that happened. If they're just sitting on the mountain, looking back at the city, at the sunset, kind of like you and I might sit around a campfire and they're just enjoying the evening and talking about the day. But these four come to him kind of privately and they just said, hey, Jesus, when are these things gonna happen? What will be the sign of your coming and, and the end of the age? Now, one thing to keep in mind is the disciples were Jews and the, the Jews had an expectation of what was gonna happen when the Messiah came on the day of the Lord, as it's recorded in the Old Testament. And what the Jewish people expected was for two things to happen. And both of these things are prophesied in the Old Testament. Uh, but they saw them as happening all at the same time. That on the day of the Lord, two things would happen. One, there would be judgment on all of God's enemies, which was good news for them, right? As not being God's enemies. And then two, there would be salvation for all of God's people which again is good news for them. So they're looking forward to both of those things, judgment on his enemies and salvation for them. Now what we learn later looking back through the lens of history is that salvation came for everybody, but judgment is coming was delayed until Jesus' second coming. But they're expecting both at the same time in this moment. And so they're like, tell, tell us, when is this gonna happen? When's all of it gonna be tore down? And when are you coming to set up shop and set up your kingdom? And, What's gonna be the sign of all that happening? They, they had a lot of anticipation about it. And then uh, Jesus gives them some instruction and uh, tells them some things that would happen. You know, he could have just said, oh, don't worry, you'll know. But he actually gives them some specific things to pay attention to that'll happen before his coming. Now, for us, we might look around at the world and who knows again what'll happen in the next week, the next month, the next year. And we might begin to become anxious and wonder, is Jesus coming? Um, what does the future hold? I think of it for myself, I think of it especially for my son. What's life gonna be like for them? What, what's coming, what's happening? Well, Jesus gives us some instruction here too. So let's take a look at what he says. First off, I would tell you this. He would say uh, that we should pay attention to the times. Pay attention to what's going on in the world. Now, that doesn't mean like you turn on Fox News or CNN or whatever website and you just constantly immerse yourself in the 24-hour news cycle because that's, that's bad for you mentally, it's bad for you emotionally, it's bad for you spiritually. All I'm saying, I'm not saying that, I'm saying just, just pay attention though have at least a little clue of what's happening in the world. Uh, German theologian Karl Barth said it well. He said, I like to uh, go through life with my Bible open in one hand and the newspaper in the other. 
See, too many times if we get sucked into those things, we don't have our Bible open, it's sitting over here and we're just sucked into everything going on and we lose perspective of what God's up to. But we ought to pay attention to the times and that's what Jesus tells us to do. And some reasons here that he tells us to in Matthew 24. First off, so that you're not led astray. So you don't be led astray. Uh, Look at verse four with me here. Jesus answered them and he said, Here's how he begins his answer when they say, hey, when's all this gonna happen? He says, well, first off, see to it that no one leads you astray. Because many will come in my name and they'll say, I'm the Christ. Christ, by the way, means just simply anointed one. And, and they'll, they'll lead many people astray. In other words, Jesus is saying, that before this happens, there, there's coming a time where there's gonna be many false anointed ones. Many who say and think that, uh, that they're the one who's gonna save the world. Some who believe they're actually legitimately the historical Jesus coming back. Those, those people are a little crazy. Um, but others who just say, well, they put a lot of ads on TV this time of year, and especially heading into the fall. Vote for me. All your dreams will come true. It'll be great. No, uh, don't vote for them. Look at all the evil there, but look at all the goodness we would bring. So we see it in political, people, people stepping up and uh, trying to be our functional savior. And Jesus said, don't be led astray. In other words, be involved, but don't put your hope there. Don't put all your hope there. Certainly don't put it in somebody who's claiming to be me that isn't, who's a false messiah or teaching a false gospel. Just see to it, because listen, it, It's coming. Guard your heart, don't be led astray. You know, one of the best ways to do that is just simply be here on a Sunday morning, get connected in a life group, get signed up this morning before you leave, and learn from God's word. Get connected in that way. Do you, do you know how um, investigators who investigate counterfeit money, how they train for that? Like if they're trying to determine which bills are counterfeit and which ones are real, do you know how they... You might think, oh, they study all the fake ones so they can recognize them when they come in. The reality is they spend all their time studying the real ones and knowing them intricately so that as soon as they see a fake one in, they can point to the smallest detail and say, nope, that's wrong. Well, in the same way, if you don't want to be led astray, uh, read God's word. Listen to his word. Study it. Study the real thing so that when... Uh, the fake ones come along and offer you hope that Jesus doesn't offer, you wouldn't be led astray. So that's one reason he says to pay attention. Just pay attention to what's happening so that you're not led astray. And then as you're paying attention and seeing these things happen, don't freak out. Don't be alarmed. Uh, Look at some of the things Jesus says will take place before his coming. He says, you're gonna hear of wars and rumors of wars. I gave you a handful this morning, even started, right? Some pretty big ones going on in our world. But see to it that you're not alarmed. You're like, Jesus, you don't understand, though. That, that freaks me out. What do you mean, don't be alarmed? Do you find yourself uh, feeling anxious about some of those things? Geopolitically or even in our area about the future? It's pretty normal. I think that's why Jesus says, hey, when you hear about these things, Slow down, take a breath. Don't be, there, there's no reason to be terrified. 
be aware, pay attention, but don't freak out. In fact, he goes on to say, this must take place. All these things have to take place before I return. They will take place before I return. So when you see them taking place, when you find yourself alarmed or afraid, remember, hey, you know what? Jesus said this would happen and I'm a day closer now to his return when all of this is over. And he wins and he rescues me, come what may, on this earth. So there's, there's hope there. Don't be alarmed, he says. And he says, for nation will rise against nation. You know, this has been happening over the last 2,000 years since Jesus uttered this, without fail. The, the, the times of, of peace are relatively short and relatively small and relatively localized throughout the history of the world. Nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And not only that, but there's gonna be famines. There's gonna be times where uh, the price of food and the, availab the availability of food is, is just nuts. Thankfully, by God's grace, we haven't really experienced that yet, unless you're trying to feed formula to a kid in the last year, and a little bit of a famine that way. But throughout the world, there's, there's famines and things like that happening all the time, and earthquakes, all of this stuff in various places. He, he talks about natural disasters and uh, climactic events in terms of the climate, and, and all kinds of just stuff happening and piling up one on top of the other. Jesus says, when you see that, be aware, be alert, pay attention, but don't freak out. Don't freak out. I'm in control. I've got you. So one of the reasons he tells us to pay attention, not just to everything going on, but with our Bible open, is so that we're not alarmed. And ultimately, kind of what he's saying here is, uh, don't ignore the contractions. What are you talking about? Don't ignore the contractions. You know, Jesus likens all of this, his return to the birth of a child. Look what he says in verse eight. He says, all these things, they're, they're the beginning of the birth pains. Now, some of you, moms and dads, you've had children and moms know this better than the dads. Uh, as you get closer and closer to the birth of your child, what else happens? You start to have pain, you start to have contractions, things begin to change, and then at some point, uh, the contractions start happening more frequently, and, and how else? With more intensity, and you even get to the point where the doctor says, hey, pay attention to them, start timing them, and just know uh, when they get down to like this time frame, get in the car and get here. It's gonna happen quickly. Jesus is saying, uh, these things are gonna happen, but they're like birth pains, they're like contractions. Don't ignore them, but pay attention when they get more intense and more frequent. Don't freak out. I mean, birth is painful, it's hard, but it's also really joyful because there's new life and there's, there's newness and, and rejoicing at the end of it. And that's how Jesus likens all of this. You know, and it's a good reminder then too that when we read prophecy in the Bible, to keep in mind the purpose God gives us prophecy. 
sometimes we, we look at prophecy and we think, um, okay, all these things happening is just causing a lot of anxiety and I gotta figure this out. I'm gonna study it, I'm gonna predict when it's gonna happen so I'm ready. Well, the purpose of prophecy isn't prediction. It's not for you and I to sit around and look at everything and predict exactly what's gonna happen. It's for recognition so that we're aware that when those things happen and when we see them happening and when the contractions get closer and closer and closer together, we're ready. And we're excited about that day. Maybe some, maybe some fear and anxiety about what's ahead, but, but ultimately with hope for what's coming. So in other words, uh, pay attention to the times, but not with fearful hearts is what Jesus is saying. Don't be fearful. Don't be fearful. It's a, it's a good thing that's coming. At least, let me say this. Don't be fearful if you know Jesus. If you don't know him, if you've never trusted him, then all of these warnings are a warning for you of great danger ahead. It's a warning of saying, hey, um, eternity's coming, and if I were you, I wouldn't take a leap into eternity without uh, having Jesus and a parachute strapped to my back. You might be thinking, yeah, but Josh, I don't know if I buy all this. This is just kind of crazy. You believe that a guy who was here 2,000 years ago is coming back, that he's God, that he's gonna return, and he's gonna, huh? This is, this is a little strange. Well, it's, it's still true. You might uh, come to me and say, hey, Josh, have you heard of gravity? And I'd say, I've heard of it, but I don't think I believe in it. And then I, I climb up and I'm in an eight-story building and so we're hanging out and I'm like, all right, I'll see you later. And I start to walk towards the window to step out the window. And you stop me, you're like, whoa, Josh, what are you doing? Why are you climbing out the window? And I'm like, well, why? What's the big deal? I'm, I'm heading home. Yeah, but don't you understand? You're gonna fall to your death. It's gonna be awful. And I just look at you and go, don't worry about me. I don't believe in gravity. I'm glad you believe in it. I don't buy it, no. And you, you try to convince me like, dude, you're making a big mistake. You should really slow down and just take some time to consider. How about we test it, you know, like with, with a pencil or something first? And then just, just see, consider these things carefully. And, and friend, if that's you, if you don't believe and you haven't, I'm, I'm just here to, to exhort you, consider these things carefully. Consider Christ and his claims carefully because you don't wanna step out of that window. You don't wanna jump off of that plane into eternity. It has existential, eternal consequence what you do with what Jesus says. Because if, if what he says is true about himself, you, you need to consider that. And I'd extol you to and exhort you to you know, in, in the Bible, prophecy um, about things that will happen sometimes can be scary, but, but ultimately, again, it's there for those of us who know Jesus for our encouragement. Um, it's actually a hope of great, or a source of great hope for us looking forward. 
Do you know in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, do you know how many prophecies there are about Jesus' first coming, about his birth? Anybody know? Have any idea? It's about 300 in that ballpark. And do you know how many of them came true about his first coming? One out of every one. They've all come true. Some of them made 900 years prior to his birth. There was a statistics professor, and I don't remember the college of the guy's name. I know I've, I've shared this with you before, but in his class tried to determine the statistical possibility that any one person would fulfill all of those prophecies. And realized quickly to, to do that with all 300 is, is impossible. So they nailed it down to eight. And eight that you specifically couldn't fulfill yourself, you know? I mean, there's prophecy of Jesus uh, coming in uh, to the Temple Mount on a donkey. Well, you could arrange that to happen. Uh, but what about once he couldn't? You know, like where he was born in Bethlehem or that he would be born to a virgin or some of those things. So they took eight of these from the book of Isaiah and figured out the statistical probability that one random person fulfill eight, those eight prophecies perfectly. And the uh, probability came in at one in 10 to the 17th power. So that's one in 10 with 17 zeros after it. I don't even know how to say that number. That's just eight, let alone 300. If Jesus fulfilled all of those perfectly, then I think he's also gonna fulfill prophecies about his second coming. Now, I mentioned there's about 300 of his first coming. Do you know how many there are about Jesus' return in, in scripture? Well, for every one prophecy about his first coming, there's approximately eight about his second coming. So almost eight times as many prophecies about Jesus' return as there were about Jesus' advent. And if he fulfilled all of those perfectly, you should carefully consider if he's going to fulfill all the rest of them perfectly. And I would tell you, I believe without a doubt in my heart that he will. He will. And those are the things, part of what he's speaking of here this morning in our text. And because of that, because we can expect it, he says, don't go about it with fearful hearts when these things happen. Don't be fearful. It's normal to be anxious. It's normal to have maybe some fear, but, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in me, he says. Uh, but there's some things coming that may cause a little anxiety. Number one, he does tell us ahead of time to expect to be persecuted. To expect to be persecuted. Here's what he tells the disciples as they go on. He says, then uh, they'll deliver you up to tribulation. Some of you they'll put to death. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Another point, he says, they hated me, they're gonna hate you. Friend, as a follower of Jesus, um, persecution and ridicule and mockery is to be expected. We live in such an anomaly in the day and age in which we live and for most of our lives here in North America where we haven't faced true persecution, most of us. And uh, some of us have faced some mockery and things like that, and maybe some harassment, but, but not like what's happening throughout the world. Uh, uh, when I was a student at Iowa State, I studied architecture before I went to Moody and studied uh, theology. 
And uh, me and another friend, uh, his name was Brian, and we led a Bible study on our floor for a bunch of guys who were just curious. And one of these guys' names was Jim. And Jim was from Chicago, and he was a big guy, and he played rugby. He played on the rugby team at Iowa State, and he was a dude. And, and Jim was in there, he was on our floor, he's a year older than me, and uh, we're, we're studying, at one point we get to studying things about Jesus' return and about uh, how Jesus is gonna come to get his church, a doctrine called the rapture, and talking about the different possibilities of when that might happen. And uh, Jim just laughed. He thought that was the stupidest thing he'd ever heard. And uh, then uh, for the next probably two or three months, Jim's, my room was at the end of the hall right by the door, so almost every time if he knew I was in there, he'd walk by and he'd knock on my door and he'd kind of open it and go, hey, Josh, still here? Just checking. And then he kept going, you know, and, and it didn't really bother me. I mean, we laughed about it, but you can pray for Jim. I don't have no idea where he's ended up or what's going on in his life these days. Um, but that's just a little bit of the mockery then. And, uh, you know, I remember having a philosophy class where me and a guy named Brandon were just kind of dressed up and down by our professor because we believed that uh, God was actually the cause and initiator of, of everything. And we're going to be mocked. We're going to be ridiculed. We may even be persecuted. Jesus was. Do you know... Uh, we live in a day and age that in the entire history of the church, there's been more martyrs for Christ in this century than the previous 19 combined. Even just this year, here's some stats about the year 2022. We're only uh, seven and a half months in. Uh, over 360 million Christians are living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. So far in 2022, as of uh, earlier this month, 5,898 Christians have been killed because of their faith worldwide. That's just what's known. 5,110 churches and other Christian buildings have been attacked, some destroyed. 4,765 believers have been detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. Those numbers are heartbreaking and sobering. And friends, um, if we read scripture, really, uh, we look at it and think, uh, oh, that, that couldn't happen here, could it? I think the rest of Christians throughout history would go, how'd you guys get off so easy? Now again, I share this with you not to freak you out, but to say, be prepared, be alert, expect it. Don't, don't feel like something strange is happening to you. Scripture tells us, right? It's normal. Continue following Jesus. He wins in the end. Uh, even if your life would last for another 40, 50, 60 years, it is so short in light of eternity. So live with eternity in mind. And be prepared to suffer. The Bible seems to say that we can expect it. And not only this, but also expect many people to fall away. My hope is that none of you would. But the reality is that it's very likely maybe some of us could fall away. Jesus said, expect that many will. He said, um, then uh, many will fall away. Especially as we get closer to his coming, more and more 
will likely fall away and they'll betray one another, they'll, they'll hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and they will lead many astray. So again, uh, be versed in his word. Keep your eyes on Christ. Don't just go through life with this in the back. No, keep it open as a guide for you, as, as your hope, your living hope, as we read this morning. Um, see, many will fall away, and, and that's the biblical doctrine of apostasy, that some will abandon the faith. And sometimes we, we have a hard time uh, thinking through what is apostasy and how does that happen? How does, maybe you've seen it even in people you know, they, they've followed Jesus for so long and then suddenly they just made this sharp turn to where, huh? They're like, yeah, I don't believe anymore. I don't buy that anymore. I quit. How does that happen? I mean, we see it more and more, especially the last couple of years, you hear of deconstructionism people deconstructing their faith and deconverting and some really prominent uh, Christian artists and even pastors and writers have, have all just said, eh, you know what, I, I don't buy it anymore. And you just go, how? How's that happen? Well, sometimes we don't uh, understand that's going to happen and we don't understand the doctrine of apostasy because we don't really truly understand the biblical doctrine of conversion, of true conversion. D.A. Carson said this. I'm just gonna quote his words. I think they're good. He said, I think the cardinal reason many of us have difficulty in coming to grips with the biblical doctrine of apostasy lies in our error to come to grips with the biblical doctrine of true conversion. If conversion is, as the Bible teaches, is defined as the change of life brought about by repentance and faith that perseveres to the end, then it's quite understandable that there could be another kind of conversion that introduces some changes, some transformation, some tasting of the spirit even, some tasting of grace, but that does not continue to the end and fades away. See, uh, in Jesus' day, even with his disciples, there were, there were many who were walking away from him and he turns to the 12. Uh, you can read about this in John chapter six, starting verse 60. And Jesus turns to the 12 and he's like, do, do you wanna go away too? They're all leaving. Did you want to? And you know, Peter, we give Peter a bad rap sometimes because he opens his mouth pretty quickly. But I love what he says here. Simon Peter turns to me and says, Lord, where would we go? <laughs> to whom else would we turn? You, you alone have the words of eternal life. And we've believed. We've come to know that, that you are the Holy One of God. Friends, as you see maybe loved ones, maybe friends, maybe people you've respected, suddenly just make that shift, that hard turn away from faith and, and apostasy you might find yourself wondering, why, Maybe, should I do that? Should I keep believing? And my prayer for you is that these words, Peter's words would ring in your ear. Where else are you gonna go? Where else are you gonna go for true life? Jesus alone has the words of eternal life. Stay true to him.
Many will fall away. So stay close to him so that you're not counted among them. Uh, I mentioned the biblical doctrine of conversion. Those of you uh, who lead life groups and some others have gotten a copy of this book called Conversion. Pastor Dave has recommended and handed out and uh, we'll have more available if you're interested, but I encourage you to read that. It's just a short, simple book on the doctrine of conversion. And I don't know if you've noticed that by the coffee bar, there's uh, some bookshelves there now that's gonna turn into kind of a resource center where we're gonna stock that with books and other resources you can purchase. And uh, that'll be one of them that'll show up there eventually as well. Uh, Let's keep moving though. Jesus also said one other thing to expect is moral decay. Well, I don't know about you, we certainly see this in our day and age. Uh, He says in verse 12, because lawlessness, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. I think it's kind of funny. I feel like it ought to say, because hate is increased and outrage is increased, love will grow cold. But Jesus says, no, it's because of wickedness. It's because of sin. It's because of people turning and doing just whatever they want to do that results in love growing cold. The connection between the affections of our heart and the moral reality of how we live is is on display all the time. And because of wickedness, love will grow cold. We've seen that. So all of these things are, are piling up and we need to pay attention to the times. And, but now with fearful hearts, but instead, Jesus says, with great hope. In, in fact, he, he exhorts us to stand firm, uh, to be ready. He, he says later uh, in chapter 24, he says, I, I've told you all these things beforehand so that you'd you'd be aware, so that you'd be ready, so that you wouldn't fall away, so that you wouldn't be alarmed, so that you would look forward with great hope to my return. In verse 13, he says, but the one who endures to the end, who stands firm, he'll be saved, she'll be saved. True conversion lasts to the end. And by the way, that's not in your effort. That's all by God's grace. So hear that clearly. This isn't you trying harder to the end. It's you trusting Jesus more to the end because it's his grip from whom you can't escape once he truly has you. So let him have you. And this gospel, he says, of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. So be ready, be joyful. Uh, You know Winston Churchill, right? Winston Churchill, one of the uh, great leaders of uh, the last century and uh, one of the great leaders of all time in uh, the history of Europe and of Great Britain. Winston Churchill, uh, during World War II, um, just had a profound impact. But you know, he planned his own future, or his own funeral, excuse me. His own, his own funeral. And he, he passed away in January of 1965. And at his funeral on January 30th of that year, uh, his wishes became known for his funeral. And one of his wishes was that um, up in St. Paul's Cathedral in London, up in the dome up above, there would be a bugler. And at the end of the service, they would play taps. And, and so that happened. They played taps. You know what I'm talking about, right? 
Dun, dun, dun. And it's just, I mean, it's just this really somber time. Many people are crying, many are very reflective, and some even wiping tears from their eyes when something else happened. Something no one else knew about, but that Churchill had wanted at his funeral. Suddenly, from the other side of the dome, another bugler started playing. Life's ahead. And suddenly that played. And it was a reminder that that Churchill, his life on earth was over, but uh, his intent with that was that that's just the beginning. And friend, as these things begin to take place, it's not the end. Stand firm. Be ready. Be joyful. Because at the end of history, the last note is going to be taps. Be the reveille. Wake up. Which leads us finally here as we close to the parable of the fig. Jesus says um, a number of other things uh, in verses 15 through 26, saying, You know, I've told, told all you this beforehand, so you'd be ready. And then he gives a short parable before he shares a little more, even. And remember, a parable is just a short or illustration intended to teach. And he says very specifically here now, learn the parable. He's saying, hey, learn from this. Learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and it puts forth its leaves, then you know summer's near. You're like, okay, what's, what's that about? Well, the fig tree is very prevalent in, in Israel and especially in this time as well. And it's really unique in the sense that it's one of the few deciduous trees there that uh, loses its leaves in the winter. And it's one of the last ones that loses its leaves to get them back. And so when the fig tree begins to bud, when the shoots become tender and the leaves begin to come forward, then you know even though other trees might have bloomed earlier or other things might have sprung up earlier, you know when the tree starts, summer is coming, which means figs are coming, which means harvest is coming. And this parable of the fig tree um, is, is Jesus saying, hey, when you see these things start to take place, when you, when you see all this, just, just know. It's right around the corner, it's coming. Now, very specifically, we don't have time to go into all of this, but the fig tree and figs are often used to represent God's people, Israel. And one of the things that's happened over the last 75 years, Israel was reborn out of nowhere in 1948. And just in this land that was full of swamp and desert land and malaria, now it's blooming and blossoming. All of this that was predicted uh, in the Old Testament in multiple places, including Ezekiel 36, 37, 38. And now Israel is uh, one of the richest nations in the world, growing and blossoming and blooming in the desert. 
and tons of people are coming back and there's all these prophecies of this happening and they're beginning and Jesus is like, when you see the fig tree begin to bloom, when you see these things happening and, and also I think there is some things to learn there when you, when you look at what God's doing with Israel, pay attention because summer's coming. In fact, it's right around the corner. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he's near and he's right at the door. Now the door might not open for 10 years, 20 years, 100 years. We're close, friends. And we can lift up our heads. In fact, that's what, when this is recorded in in Luke, um, that's exactly what Jesus says. He says, now when uh, these things begin to take place, don't freak out, straighten up and raise raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he goes on right after this parable in Luke. He says, but, but watch yourself. So, so if you're wondering, okay, so what do I do now? Well, here Jesus tells us, watch yourself, guard your heart, lest you be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, which is so short. And then that day would come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, all of us. So stay awake at all times. Pay attention praying that you would have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. First Peter, uh, Peter says something similar, excuse me, in Second Peter. No, First Peter, he says, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled, be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Uh, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. This is how we ought to go about life, just, just continuing on, just like Jesus calls us to, aware and alert and ready, but not freaking out, just continuing, going out, loving people, inviting them to follow Jesus with us and following him ourselves. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has a gift. Use it to serve one another. Don't, don't pull away. Dive in more. As the writer of Hebrews says, don't neglect gathering together as, as so many do, as become the habit of some, but all the more as you see the day drawing near, gather and connect and serve the Lord and love one another. Whoever speaks, one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves is one who serves by the strength God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. For to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Share one last story with you and then we'll close as the worship team comes up. Have you heard of New England's Dark Day? It was May 19th, 1780. And in New England, uh, everyone was just kind of going about their day. It was a sunny morning when uh, by late morning, suddenly the, the sky began to gray and it even around noon turned pitch black. Well, the House of Representatives in Connecticut were at work debating a bill that day, and uh, their, their whole room was lit by just the sunlight coming in the windows. And one guy by the name of Abraham Davenport, he was the Speaker of the House in Connecticut in that day. Many were clamoring, some were, some were in tears, some were kneeling down praying, some were wailing and shouting and Many were calling, uh, we need to adjourn. Uh, This is the end. 
Because uh, Jesus said later in the passage we looked at that in that day, darkness will cover the whole earth and then the last thing you'll see is the light of the Son of Man returning. They're like, he's coming. Many were filled with regret. But then uh, Abraham got up and he quieted everyone. And uh, listen to what he said. He said this, he goes, friends, the day of judgment is either approaching or it's not. If it's not, there's no reason for us to adjourn. And if it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. Somebody get some candles. And they brought in candles. They began, finished their debate, and passed the bill. Turned out the darkness was from wildfires and it stretched all over New England that day. And it was just pitch black. But I think that's a good illustration for us. Not to be afraid, not with fearful hearts when we see these things happening, but with great hope, going about life, loving one another, loving the Lord, with more and more hope of his soon return. Let me pray.